Hey, I wanted to let you know I am releasing a book this spring, this April, actually. It's my very first book, and it is so near and dear to my heart. It's called Sexless in the City, a sometimes sassy, sometimes painful, always honest look at dating, desire, and sex. And I truly believe it will encourage and equip you to navigate faith, desire, intimacy, and relationships free from shame and fear and with a holistic and biblical vision. I would be so grateful if you snagged a copy. You can actually pre-order it right now on Amazon.com or Kindle, Audible, Barnes & Noble, or honestly, anywhere you purchase books. When you pre-order it, please send me an email at social at therefinedwoman.com because I would love to send you some free goodies and resources as a thank you. All right, let's get to the podcast. Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I'm just so glad you're here. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface. We're going to talk about everything from life to love and pretty much everything in between. So go ahead and leave that Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is freaking messy. Don't I know it. Now, not only are we going to be real, we're going to have some fun too, because Lord knows I will find any excuse to bring up Beyonce or the latest episode of The Bachelorette. So if you're a new friend, welcome. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective podcast on iTunes. And if you're an old friend, welcome back. And would you do me a quick favor? Hop on over to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and written review. I would be so grateful. Finally, if something stands out to you in this episode, go on and slide into my DMs on Instagram. I love hearing from you. It's at The Refined Woman. Now let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to The Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and thank you so much for joining me today. First up, a special thank you to Newsstand Studio at Rockefeller Center here in Manhattan, New York for holding beautiful space for me to record my podcast today. I am so, so grateful for Rockefeller and Tishman Spire. Thank you for supporting the Refined Collective and allowing me to feel like a total boss when I record this podcast. I mean, I have headphones on. I have a microphone that even says Newsstand Studio on it. So thank you. Thank you, Newsstand Studio. Y'all are the bomb.com. And next, before we get started, I'm toying around with the idea of doing a a mini series of sorts called Ask Cat. That's like a little bit of a tongue twister. Quister. I can't even say it. Ask Cat. So the heart behind this series would be that you listening to this podcast right now, email me social at therefinedwoman.com as in social media, social at therefinedwoman.com, specific questions you have for me. And then live on air, I'll spend 15, 20 minutes answering as many questions as I can. So it can be anything from dating, sexuality, to theology, to my personal life. I'm willing to answer anything and everything. So if you have any questions for me, go ahead and send them to social at therefinedwoman.com. And depending on the response will depend on whether or not we try out the series. I think it's a good idea, <laughs> but you may not. So this is my invitation. Send me your questions and I will live answer them on my podcast. On to today's episode. Today's episode is about chivalry. 
is chivalry dead? Now, first of all, do you know how to spell chivalry? Because I realize I've been spelling it wrong my entire life, literally right now when I was doing notes for this show. It's it's not chivalry, like I'm saying it. It's chivalry. So just so you know, it's C-H-I-V-A-L-R-Y, chivalry dead. That's what we're talking about, chivalry. Maybe, it, I can't even say it right. Bear with me, love me through it. Part of this podcast episode is coming from my recent obsession with the Netflix TV show, Bridgerton. And also, I just, I hear from so many of my girlfriends and strangers on the internet, on Instagram, whenever I do any sort of, what's dating like for you as a woman in today's culture? I hear a couple questions consistently. One is, where are all the good godly guys? All of them are already taken. I get that one a lot. And then I get complaints like, chivalry is dead. Guys don't even want to open my door anymore. What's that about? So I figured we would do an episode on it. Now, real talk, this was actually supposed to be an episode with a guest. And about an hour before the podcast, I heard from my guest and they said that They no longer wanted to come on the podcast because they felt out of alignment with some of my beliefs. And I'll be honest, that really hurt my feelings. (laughs) However, my response to this person was, well, where do you feel out of alignment? And she shared with me different things about what I believe that felt out of alignment with her faith. And my response was this. And I'm sharing this in no way, shape, or form. I want to put this person on blast. But I do want to sort of set the tone and expectation for who I am and my heart behind the Refined Collective and the type of conversations I want to have. So on the Refined Collective, and this is how my podcast is, it's also how my relationships in my real life are as well. I have friends on this show that are Christians and friends that are non-Christians. I have friends on here that are straight. I have friends on here that are gay. I have friends on here that are more conservative than me. I have friends here that are more progressive than me. And in all of that, it feels super important for me to first model in my own life personally and also publicly that we can build bridges of connection with people who have differing views than our own. In fact, if all I'm ever talking to is another person that believes exactly what I believe about God and the Bible and the way I live my life, then all I've created is just another avenue of an echo chamber. We have about enough echo chambers in our life, I think. (laughs) I mean, thank the algorithm alone for that on social media. But I want this to be a space where we can share stories and friendships and valuable insight and wisdom, even when and if we aren't in alignment on everything. In fact, I think it's healthy and okay that we don't have the same views on everything. So in that, if that makes this podcast not a good fit for someone, that is totally fine. There are other podcasts out there that may be a better fit for you. But I just want you to know that you are welcome here regardless of what you do or do not believe. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I'm not shy about that. But I 
don't care what you do or do not believe. You have a seat at the table with me, okay? I just want you to hear that from my lips. <laughs> that's the life I seek to live. And that's the invitation to anyone that I collide with is I have open arms for you, whoever you are, whatever you do or do not believe. Ready to talk about chivalry? I am. <laughs> So basically, these are all the questions I was going to ask on my interview. And I just thought, you know what? Just because the guest canceled does not mean that I cannot ask myself these questions and ask them to you. So that's what we're going to do. The first question is, what comes to your mind when you think of chivalry? Now, a few things come to my mind. I'll go first. <laughs> and I love how I just laughed at my own joke. A few things come to my mind when I think of chivalry. I think of things like Jane Austen and Pride and Prejudice specifically, the one with Keira Knightley, which I know is a controversial choice for those who are very committed to the Colin Firth BBC version of Pride and Prejudice. I also think of this phrase that I use to my coaching clients a lot that I use called drop the hanky. Now, dropping the hanky is a technique that I teach women to use to flirt with guys. And where the drop the hanky term comes from is in the Victorian era. That is when chivalry was alive and kicking and well. And Bridgerton, they called it swooning. Oh, she swooned when he looked at her, so she would faint. And you also see in an episode of Bridgerton, Daphne literally drops her hanky on the floor and the prince picks it up for her. And that kind of culturally at that time was a woman's way of letting a man know that she was interested. It was sort of the green light of, hey, if you come up to me, I will respond to your advances. And why I think that's really powerful when we think about chivalry, especially in regards to so many women today thinking chivalry is dead, I would, I think in my experience, most of those same women are standing there with their arms folded, looking to the ground, only hanging out with their girlfriends, not making eye contact with the guy that they're interested in across the room. He probably doesn't even know she likes him. She's just sitting there fuming that he's not coming up to her. But if we look back historically on chivalry and and the Victorian era, we see that when chivalry was alive and well, the man would approach the woman when she gave him the green light. I just think that's a really important thing to acknowledge, okay? Now, the next thing I think of when I think of chivalry is, like I've already mentioned, Bridgerton. Man, I wish we were in person because I just have so many thoughts on Bridgerton. But here's a few. In Bridgerton, it's this time when—also, I'm not going to give away spoiler alerts. I hate when people spoil things for me. You know, I'm 35, and there's not much in life that gets to be a surprise. So please do not tell me what happens on the final episode of whatever show I haven't watched yet. And I will always do my best to protect spoiler alerts from you. So no spoiler alerts here. However, what we see in the culture of Bridgerton, it's London in the 1800s, it's high society, it's women being presented to culture. I mean, and 
we should also say these these women aren't really even women. They're actually probably 14, 15 years old. So these girls are teenagers. They're girls, okay? They're being presented to society, and they've been raised their entire life for one goal. And that goal is to achieve marriage and be a homemaker and stay as pure and undefiled as possible until your wedding day. Now, I think what can feel really beautiful about this time, you see it in movies like Pride and Prejudice and in parts of Bridgerton, when a simple glance feels so jam-packed with meaning, when hands touch for the first time, it's sensual, it's sexual, it's electric, and even they mention it multiple times in the Bridgerton show that you know, you don't want to become defiled before you are married. If a woman is defiled before she's married, then no one wants to marry her. And defilement is anything from hand-holding to a kiss, and God forbid, a woman has sex outside of marriage. I can't help but zoom out and see a principle that also feels very similar to today. Yes, we've progressed a lot, and women can vote, and I'm sitting here today in 2021, and I run two successful businesses, and I am 35 and single, which would be like 300 years old in Bridgerton days as a single person, and I'd probably have 3,000 cats and doomed to a life of solitude at this point. But alas, it is 2021, and being single at 35 is not the end of the world. But I do see similarities of today in our culture, women still— and I think this is culture and the church, by the way. I think the church is takes it to another level. But it's as though women aren't allowed to be, entitled to be, expected to be as sexual as men are. Because just we see in Bridgerton where the expectation for the woman is to wait until marriage to have sex, is to be quote-unquote undefiled, is to just wait on hand and foot for those chivalrous moments when a guy approaches her and looks her in the eye or grabs her hand for the first time. You see very clearly throughout the show that men are not held to that same standard of quote-unquote defilement. The men are allowed to sleep around. The men are allowed to marry much later in life. You see that many of the men pursuing these teenagers are much older. And so I did some research because I'm a Y person and I always want to know how factual things are. And Shonda Rhimes, when she was creating the show, actually did a ton of research and really tried to stay as true to the cultural time that it actually was. Now, obviously in the 1800s, there wasn't a string quartet playing a cover of Sean Mendes in My Blood or Ariana Grande's song at the gala or the ball or whatever it's called. However, the idea that girls were raised to be pure, undefiled, and even a thing like a hand-holding as a very special protected gesture and how that was not the same norm or standard held to men was a very real reality. And I even, I think today... That feels still very true. And I I feel it in culture. 
And we even see it with companies where there's not as many female CEOs as male CEOs. If you want to have children, there are a lot more barriers to becoming on the C-suite track or being a very successful person in the corporate world if you have children or if that's the route you want to go. And I know a lot of that's changing. There's incredible companies out there, Google, Patagonia, Nike, even Tishman Spire, who is producing this podcast. There are there are actually a lot of female high up employees and they treat their employees so well. And this isn't just like a plug I'm not trying to suck up. They really do empower the female employees and honor when they're having children. And I think that's really incredible. But on a grand scale, I still think we're behind. And then you take it a step further in the church. And I have experienced things like, oh, well, I feel as a single person and especially as a single woman in the church that I'm kind of JV to the varsity of the married people. I feel as though because I am single in my 30s that I'm asked questions that men my age who are single simply don't get asked. Like, why are you still single? You know, that biological clock is ticking. Are you too picky? I think your standards might be too high. And now I've lived in New York for seven plus years and have gone to a church with more than 80% single people. And that's not, you know, 18, 19 year olds, that's people 20s, 30s, and 40s. And I tell you the truth that the men do not get asked those questions in the same way that the women do. If a guy is in his 20s, 30s, 40s, and single, he's just building his career. He's investing into his future. He's trying to be financially stable before entering into a long-term relationship. So all that to say is this is what I think of when I think of chivalry. (laughs) And I think it's important to acknowledge, A, that chivalry happened in a time where it wasn't just on the men to make movement towards the woman. The woman had to give the man a green light to make movement towards her. And it also happened in a time where the where women were viewed as helpless and women had very few rights culturally, religiously. Women couldn't vote. Women couldn't go to college. Women couldn't have careers and also be married at the same time. So there's a lot that has changed today. And in that, there's a lot that is not different. So in that, is chivalry still a possibility today? I think so. Now, the next question I want to ask is, when was the last time you experienced chivalry? I'll go first again. (laughs) I have a guy friend who is one of the most gentlemanly man (laughs) I've ever met in my life. And there's nothing sexual between us. It is a platonic friendship. And for an entire year, he and I were in a fellowship together with a bunch of people. And we lived in the same neighborhood. 
It was about a 45-minute subway ride home from where our commitment was. And in New York, what life is like, I, this is how I explain life to people. When you live other places and you leave for work in the morning and say you want to go to the gym after that before you go home or and then after that you have dinner plans with a friend, you can put all your stuff in your car and drive it around and not have to carry it. In New York City, you leave your house at 7.30 a.m. for work and you need all those things on your person all day. So life in New York is a constant game of schlepping. So I'd arrive every Monday night to this fellowship and I'd have my camera bag. At some point in the day, probably had a shoot. So that alone, camera bag alone, very heavy. And then my computer, my wires, and then I had a yoga mat and workout clothes in case I wanted to do yoga. And then I would bring my makeup bag in case I wanted to touch up. All that to say, I had a ton of shit with me. And it was really heavy. And I had been carrying around all day. And I remember going to the subway one of the first weeks of this fellowship. And my guy friend, without even asking, just took the bag from my hand and carried it. It was a really simple gesture. And then we got on the subway, rode 45 minutes, got off the subway. And he's like, I'll just, I'll just walk you home. It's late. And carries my bag the whole time. And I feel like this is like very gentlemanly. It's almost like a little too old school for me, but I also loved it. He stood on the part of the sidewalk that was closest to the street, just in case a car came so he could protect me. And he would walk me to my door, give me a hug, and thank you, see you next week. And you might hear that and think, well, that guy totally liked you. No, he didn't. <laughs> in fact, I know this because we talked about it multiple times. It was just a friendship, and it was a very brother and sister type friendship. And for an entire year, this guy every week would do this, grab my bag for me with even having to ask and go with me on the subway, walk me home. And here's the deal. I carry my bag all the time by myself. <laughs> I can do it. I don't need a man <laughs> to do that for me. But it felt really nice for someone to take note of me and literally lift a burden. And the more it went on, the more I realized, you know what? This makes me feel really good. It makes me feel like a woman. And it, I think it's important and crucial to have interactions with the opposite sex that are honoring that are not sexual at all. And you might think that it's impossible for guys and girls to just have platonic friendships. And to that, I say, man, what a shame. What a shame if we miss out on half of the world's population because the only way we can think of connecting with them is in a sexual way. Now, I'm not saying not to have boundaries in your platonic friendships or relationships, but I think, at least for me, there is something really healing almost about having a friendship where I felt really cared for and seen by a guy who was a friend. And also, I realized it actually 
honored him. It, it gave him honor when I let him carry my things instead of being like, no, 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 I got it. Who runs the world? Girls. <laughs> I don't need you. I got this. No, it actually made him feel like a man when I let him carry my stuff. So it was a win-win. Now, another time I've experienced chivalry is I have a guy friend here in the city, and he's the type of guy that you're out at a bar, you're grabbing drinks, and you're with a group of people. As soon as you sit down, cat, what do you want tonight? What can I get you? Then goes to the bar and gets me a drink. Hey, who needs water? Does anyone need water? And that's just this guy's MO. And at first when I met him, I was like, this guy isn't for real. He's just trying to impress some girl here, or maybe he's just trying to impress me. I will tell you this much. I definitely had a crush on this guy. Like the first guy, we were just friends with this guy. I was like, oh my gosh, he's so in love with me because he bought me a drink tonight. But he wasn't into me. That's the end of that story. So even still, we stayed friends and I got to see and experience this guy over the span of years and years. And he was always consistent. He always took note of how the women were feeling in a social setting. And it wasn't in a creepy way. It wasn't in a condescending way. It wasn't in a sexual way. It was just him wanting the women to know that, hey, when you're with me, my goal is to make you feel safe and that you're in a trusted space. And if you need something, I got your back. It's February, which means it's Black History Month. And this month in the podcast, I want to take time out to just share with you about organizations that are run by men and women of color that are up to just really incredible, incredible things. Today, I want to talk with you about the Equal Justice Initiative. The Equal Justice Initiative was founded in 1989 by Brian Stephen, who is a widely acclaimed public interest lawyer and best-selling author of Just Mercy. EJI is a private nonprofit organization that provides legal representation to people who have been illegally convicted, unfairly sentenced, or abused in state jails and prisons. They challenge the death penalty and excessive punishment, and they provide re-entry assistance to formerly incarcerated people. Now, EJI works with communities that have been marginalized by poverty and discouraged by unequal treatment. They're committed to changing the narrative about race in America, and they produce groundbreaking reports, award-winning wall calendars, and short films that explore our nation's history of racial injustice. And they also recently launched an ambitious national effort to create new spaces, markers, and memorials that address the legacy of slavery, lynching, and racial segregation, which shapes so many issues today in our country. The Equal Justice Initiative also provides research and recommendations to assist advocates and policymakers in the critically important work of criminal justice reform. They publish reports, discussion guides, and other educational materials, and their staff conduct educational tours and presentations for thousands of students, teachers, faith leaders, and professional associations, community groups, and international visitors every year. Here's what you need to know. The Equal Justice Initiative is committed to ending mass incarceration and excessive punishment in the United States, to challenging racial and economic injustice, and to protecting basic human rights for the most vulnerable people in American society. 
It's an organization that I believe in. I personally financially support Equal Justice Initiative, and I would love you to take some time to check them out. So you can go to eji.org to learn more about their programs and what they're up to and to donate to their incredible cause. I share these things because I know as a single person, (laughs) it can feel really discouraging to be single. And it can feel really discouraging to feel like there are no single guys in your community or you've dated total assholes. I mean, I've also dated really bad guys too. One of my guy friends, I'm like, can you open the door for me? He's like, open the door for yourself. The future's female. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a feminist, but I also want you to open the door for me. So I want to share that with you because I want you to know that actually chivalry isn't dead. It's out there and it's alive and well. And I want you to pause and think about when was the last time you yourself even experienced that. And to that point, what I want to share is as a woman who received that treatment in response, I always wanted to honor that. So whenever my guy friend would, I would sit down and he would grab me a drink or grab me water, I'd say, you know, friend, thank you so much for grabbing me a drink tonight. That made me feel really great. I really appreciate it when you do that. And when my friend faithfully carried my bag home every single week, you know, hey, friend, I really appreciate you carrying my bag. It makes me feel like a woman and it makes me feel really honored. And I just want you to know that I really appreciate it. Because sometimes I think guys don't know how to treat women because we give them really mixed messages. It's almost like they're damned if they do and damned if they don't because of said comments, phrases like the future is female, like I don't need you. I got my own job. I got my own house. I got my own car, (laughs) whatever it is. I wonder if one of the reasons why it feels like chivalry is dead is because we give a very mixed message to the guys in our life. Por ejemplo, a few years ago, I was on a date with this guy, and this was our second date, and we were still, you know, trying to feel things out, and I was definitely interested in him, and I'm pretty sure I know he was into me as well. We go to this wine bar in Brooklyn, and it was a really great night. And I felt attracted to him. I was excited to be with him. We had really good conversation, good wine. And the bill came, and I immediately pulled out my card and put it down. And I was like, oh, we can totally split it. But really, I wanted him to pay for it. Like, I feel as though I'm progressive in a lot of ways, but I still like the idea, especially in the beginning of dating, of the guy picking up the check. You might think I am just no longer a feminist anymore. (laughs) Or maybe you're like, I knew she didn't have a tin heart. (laughs) I I knew she wasn't all the way gone. Um, But what I really wanted was for him to pay for it. But I put down my card and verbally was like, no, 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 like, let's totally split it. And he said, okay. And we split it. And I was pissed. Like, I was so upset on the inside. 
And I remember I was like, oh, what a jerk. This guy, chivalry is dead. Why didn't he just reject my card like it was a piece of trash? And I remember getting home and calling my mentor because she wanted to know how my date went. And I was like, get this. This guy is not a gentleman because I put down my credit card and said I would pay for half and he accepted. What kind of jerk does that? And she said, a kind of person that takes you at your word. A kind of person that honors your boundaries. You were testing him. You communicated verbally and non-verbally your expectation to split the check, and then you are now punishing him for not being a mind reader, and you are punishing him for not being chivalrous. So perhaps if you want your date to pay for your meal, don't take out your credit card. Or say, you know what? This may sound really old-fashioned, like when the guy picks up the check for the first few dates. You know, you are allowed to communicate your needs and your wants and your desires. And when you open that conversation, well, first of all, if you don't bring out your credit card, which I totally do, it's something I do now when I go on dates, definitely on the first date, I don't even make a move for my wallet because I'm like, listen, we got the pink tax going on. You know, I did my hair. I got my nails done. I spent $140 getting my eyebrows laminated. You can pay for the $4 coffee. Maybe I am entitled because of that, but I kind of feel like, listen, if you can't pay for at least a date, then I don't know. I don't know if this is a good fit. However, all that to say is if you want to experience chivalry, then part of that, like going back to dropping the hanky, is communicating your consent communicating what you want as opposed to expecting the men in your life to be mind readers. So instead of judging a guy for what he is or isn't doing, what if we reflected on how am I showing up and what sort of behavior am I encouraging or expecting from a guy yet have been unwilling to communicate that? So before moving on to my final question, I just want to just encourage you, me, us to pause and reflect. What are the expectations that I have from men or from another person? And am I expecting him to read my mind? If I want to be treated in a way that feels more feminine, am I able to communicate that? So for example, one thing that I do is I don't like being called bro or dude. I'm not one of the boys. I'm a woman. And for most of my life, I prided myself on being just one of the bros and one of the dudes. And as I really started to work on stepping into my femininity, which felt way more vulnerable to step into that as opposed to being like, oh no, dude, like I'm all good. Yeah, just one of the bros. I was like, oh, I wonder if guys just see me as a friend because I literally show up as a friend and one of the bros. So if a guy's like, yo, bro, I say, I'm not your bro. I'm a girl. I'm a lady. Or if I hear locker room talk, I'm like, hey, we're not in the locker room. Guys, there's a lady of honor in your presence. And I just make it light in a joke. 
But I just wonder sometimes if why we experience that there is not as much chivalry is because we don't communicate what we want as women. And because every woman is different, some girl is going to be like, if you offer to pay for my meal, you clearly are think I should be Betty Homemaker versus another woman who would feel so honored if the bill was picked up. So I think because we're in so many different places, it's important to communicate what we want, what we need when we show up. Now, a few more ways to kind of encourage chivalry in our culture is to create an invitation as opposed to a demand. Now, even when I get that DM from you on Instagram, that's like, where are all the godly guys? Like, all of them? are already taken or chivalry is dead. Those statements alone, I want you to pause and think, what would it feel like if that conversation were opposite? What if the loud noise that you heard from the opposite side was all the good girls are taken? There's not girls out there that are good enough for me. And you know what? Respect is dead. No women respect guys anymore at least for me, that would feel very degrading and it would feel disrespectful and very demotivating to show up with kindness to that person. In fact, I would probably want to show up to someone who was warm and inviting and didn't have a big fat chip on their shoulder about me. So, If I want to experience chivalry instead of saying things like chivalry is dead or no guys out there want to open doors anymore and all the good guys are gone, that's a demand. You see how that's different than me saying, hey, thank you so much for opening my door. That meant so much to me. I love it when you do that. There's a difference there, right? Like it's subtle. Maybe it's even just energetic. I'm coming from a place of wholeness as opposed to condescension. So I wonder if we would see chivalry come more alive if we created an invitation for it, held space for it, as opposed to feeling entitled and putting a demand on it. By the way, the heart of the feminine energy is to receive and to hold space. Even if we think anatomically in sex, the female body is designed to literally hold space and receive. That's what the feminine heart is, to receive and hold space. So I wonder what would shift in our communities and our relationships if instead of speaking who men aren't and how they haven't shown up, honoring who they are and how they are showing up for you and acknowledging when you feel honored and communicating how and when you do feel honored. I think there's a difference. I think we underestimate the value of saying thank you. (laughs) Even going back to when I'm on dates and I want a guy to pay for the coffee or the drink or the dinner or whatever it is, that's not something I'm entitled to. Like it's something, it would be a preference and no one owes me anything. 
And no one owes you anything either. So when you do feel honored, respected, taken care of, look that person in the eye and say, thank you. And I'm going to over-spiritualize it right now, probably. But in the scriptures and the Psalms, the psalmist says to enter God's house with thanksgiving and praise. And I think that's because something internally shifts in us when we show up with a posture of gratitude as opposed to a posture of scarcity, victim mentality, lack, entitlement, shame. It just sets a completely different stage when I show up with a posture of gratitude. So how can you verbally affirm the men in your life. And it can be platonic or romantic or even a boss. You know, it doesn't have to be weird or sexual, but to look someone in the eye and say, thank you so much for holding that door open for me. That made me feel really great. I appreciate you. Let's make it a practice to use our words to communicate our wants, our desires, and to acknowledge honor. Like, instead of being the woman who complains about singleness and who complains how online dating sucks and how there aren't a lot of fish in the sea, what if I came from a posture of gratitude, of, wow, what another day. I get another day. Thank you, God. Wow. Like, I miss the subway. That sucks. But wow, God, thank you that I get the opportunity to pause and have a few more moments before I step into the crazy of my day. I think showing up with a posture of gratitude changes everything. And finally, I would say, ask for support. Give guys in your life the opportunity to show up for you. Also, this is another example of creating an invitation as opposed to a demand. But I think, again, we want guys to read our minds. And so we don't verbalize what we do want. And then we punish them for what they haven't done. And then we also punish them for not being a magician mind reader. So for example, a way that I practice this is when I travel, I and I have my carry-on bag that is being put in the overhead bin. Can I do that? Yeah. It's a pain in the ass sometimes. My camera gear is really heavy. And so I'll look around and if there is a strong man next to me, I'll say, hey, do you mind putting this up there for me? And 10 times out of 10 times, guys have said yes. And it's like, I see something in the man when I say that. It's like he feels honored, respected, needed. And I also feel honored and respected and seen. So I think... It's going to take vulnerability from you to communicate, hey, I know I can do this, but I would love to invite you to support me in this. That's vulnerable. We're hiding. We're hiding ourselves and we're actually hiding from vulnerability when we punish guys for not reading our minds. It's much more vulnerable to say, hey, It really makes me feel great when you open the door for me. Because what if he doesn't want to open the door for you? What if that's not a value to him? What if he says no? Then that will feel disappointing. I will feel rejected. Maybe I won't feel accepted. So it's a risk, right? 
It's a risk to be vulnerable. It, it is a risk for a man to put himself out there and show up in a chivalrous way in a culture that says the future is female. We don't need you. We can do it on our own. Like It's no wonder guys show up in that way less and less because it's vulnerable for them. And it's vulnerable for me to say, hey, I see you. Thank you for grabbing water for me. Hey, I see you. Thank you so much for holding my bag. That made me feel awesome. I'm reminded of this scene in the movie, How to Be Single, with Rebel Wilson and Leslie Mann and Dakota Johnson. I freaking love that movie. <laughs> I watch, It's like one of my feel-good movies. And Leslie Mann is, we don't know how old she is in the movie, but she's the much older sister of Dakota Johnson. And she's in her 40s. She's a very successful doctor. And she ends up going through IVF and wanting to have her own baby. And she is getting to know, she's starting to date a guy that's much younger than her. And she doesn't want to be with him because she keeps saying, I can do this on my own. Like, I don't need you. And finally, it gets to this point, I feel like this is me, <laughs> where she's like, oh, yeah, um, I like you. Maybe I want to be with you, but I can do this on my own. Like, I don't need you. And he's like, really? Like, duh, I know that. <laughs> I know you don't need me. But that's the whole point of love and relationship, right? Not that we need each other and are codependent on each other, but that we want each other, that we choose to be in relationship with one another. So is chivalry dead? I think not. I think that it will take vulnerability on our parts as women, creating a culture of honor, being able to come into our lives in circumstances with a posture of gratitude, being willing to ask for support, being willing to acknowledge who the men in our lives are and how they are showing up. I think it means showing up from a place of invitation as opposed to entitlement. And I wonder what would happen if we did that. All right. Thank you guys for listening to my ramblings, my solo, my unexpected solo show today. I'm really, really grateful for you. Don't forget, if you want to ask me questions for my new series I'm toying with, Ask Cat, to send your questions to social, as in social media, social at therefinedwoman.com. Depending on the response will depend on whether or not we do that. And next week, we have author of Confessions of an Ex-Evangelical, Why I Left Christianity and Started Practicing Jesus. That is Adam Thomason. He is so incredible. We'll also be talking about his new book, Permission to be Black, My Journey with Jay-Z and Jesus. And I mean, hello, Jay-Z. I love him. Jesus, love that guy too. We have a really great conversation, so be sure and check that out. And finally, if you support our Patreon, thank you, thank you so much. We are able to keep the lights on at our podcast because of our Patreon community. If you are interested in supporting us, it's as little as $5 a month. You can go to patreon.com slash The Refined Collective. And thank you for joining our community. And also when you join, you get access to special exclusive VIP videos that I launch every week. You think we have real talk on the podcast? Wait till you see my weekly videos on the Patreon community. We get even more real over there. All right. Talk to you soon. <laughs>